Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams. Hello, and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, a weekly podcast in which we talk about the secrets behind living an inspired and extraordinary life. I'm Ellen Barton, and today my guest is Seth Godin. Seth has written 18 best-selling books, including Lynchpin, Tribes, The Dip, Purple Cow. He is a sought-after speaker. He's done several TED Talks. He's a daily blogger. He's a big thinker. And his work includes pushing the boundaries of ideas around marketing and leadership in the business world and beyond. His bio calls him a ruckus maker. And he's never shy about sharing new ideas. Seth, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Ellen. And thank you for doing this. I know it's a lot of work. Oh, it's a great pleasure. I'm really excited to have you. I'm a huge fan of yours. And, um, you know, I've got I've got lots of questions. I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. So you are an expert on marketing. You're also a disruptive thinker. I think that's fair to say. Um, what was it that attracted you to the field of marketing in the first place? Like, did you used to see these ads when you were a kid? And did you used to think, what are these guys thinking? Like, what what's going on here? What, what was it that drew you to this field? Deep down, I'm a teacher. That is the thing I love to do. It's what I spend most of my time on. And what I discovered about teaching is that teaching is the act of changing people's minds. And it turns out a math teacher is a teacher. A canoeing instructor is a teacher. But so is someone who's trying to get you to buy a new kind of high-end heirloom bean-to-bar chocolate. That if you don't get it, if you don't understand the story, if you're not enrolled in the journey, you're not going to be able to buy this thing that could make your life better. And what I discovered was that the secret that was missing from so many people who wanted to teach was the empathy to understand what other people were hearing. And that's another word for marketing. Mm, That's a great definition. Thank you. You know what it makes me think of is Don Draper. I'm mad, Ben. You know, he could always weave that story. Yeah, I, I, there, there are lots of times I don't want to be compared to Don Draper, but certainly the way he did the Kodak thing, that, that, that's yeah. a good day for a marketer. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he always had that knack of bringing you into the story and, and really coming up with a way to resonate with what people were really feeling. That was the beautiful thing about his skills, certainly, at, at least one of them. But um, you, on the other hand, are amazing. I'm, like I said, I'm a huge fan. And you have this uncanny knack for writing essays, these thought-provoking essays. You use very few words in many of them. Your blog goes out every single day. And for me, it's one of the very few things I read every day. And um, there's always some kind of like golden nugget in there. So how do you keep coming up with all this brilliance? Do you write all your own blog? Oh, every single word of anything you've ever seen my name on was written by me. I have never once had someone write words that weren't mine. The The secret is pretty simple, which is I have more bad ideas than anybody else that you know. I write more bad stuff than anybody else you know. And then I just publish the good stuff. So if you're having trouble coming up with good ideas, it's almost certain that you don't have enough bad ideas. And if you can get more bad ideas, the good ideas will take care of themselves. Mm, so like, are you one of those writers that sits down every day and allocates, you know, eight o'clock to 10 o'clock, I'm going to write if it kills me, or do you wait for inspiration to strike? Uh, neither one. I am a, uh, 
I'm a sloppy, uh, poorly disciplined writer. I'm extremely disciplined about the structure of my life, but I don't have a regular schedule. But I don't buy this idea that people should wait for inspiration. It doesn't work that way. Uh, inspiration shows up when you need it, when you command it, when you will it. Uh, that's why we need deadlines. That's why we have charrettes. That's why we have uh, people who make promises because that is what brings uh, inspiration. And so if you are waiting, you're going to be waiting for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, do you, so do you write every single day or is it just when you're in? It doesn't matter. Don't, yeah. people should not use me as a role model. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so one of, you know, like I said, oftentimes your posts really strike a chord with me. And the one that caused me to reach out to you was called How Thin Is Your Ice? And I don't know what it was about this. It was, it was actually, I do know, it was the line where you were talking about um, acting as if, you know, mm -hmm. you, were, you were talking about that. I'd like to have you read that post and get into, you know, talk about that meaning a little bit. Um, would you mind doing that for us? I'll try. I've never done it before, but what the heck? You asked really nicely. How thin is your ice? When something goes wrong, how do you respond? When you own assets, when your position feels secure, when you're playing the long game, a bump in the road is just that. Well, that was interesting. You can learn from it, and the professional realizes that freaking out pays little benefit. On the other hand, the middleman, the person who realizes just how easily he can be replaced, the person who can't stop playing the short game, well, he realizes that it's all sort of a house of cards and often indulges in the urge to freak out, disgorging panic and fear and even hatred on the person that's easy to blame. The thing is, thin ice doesn't give you a lot of leverage, and thin ice can be a self fulfilling prophecy. The first step for the agent, the middle manager, the hanger-on, is to invest in the long term, to find an arc that actually builds an asset that lasts. And the second is to act as if. All that panic doesn't pay off. It merely makes it more likely that the people you need to earn trust with will do precisely the opposite. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. And so entirely accurate. You know, when people have a good foundation, when you have that cushion of money or you have some kind of security, it's a little easier to go out there and take risks and make mistakes. But many of my listeners I know are the startups or the ones that are looking to really make a change in their life and maybe they don't have that cushion. So I, well, I want to interrupt they, you, Ellen, because that's not the cushion I'm talking about. You know, the fact okay. is that really rich people act uh, in a freak out way all the time. There's no correlation in the United States anyway between the amount of money you have in the bank and the number of times you freak out. It's the narrative that you have in your head that determines this. So you can be a very confident person in debt in a leased rented apartment and not freak out. Because if you believe deep down that you are a professional, that you have something to offer, that you aren't a fraud, 
then you can act as if. So it begins with this story we tell ourselves. That if you say to yourself, oh boy, they found me out, now it's all over, you've bought into the shame cycle. And shaming is something that's been done to you, but it doesn't happen unless you accept it. And you don't have to accept it. You can come back to, wait a minute, I'm not a fraud. I'm actually building an asset here. And, you know, it's really interesting. If you look at various discussion boards, there's there's ones, for example, for photographers. When people started getting free photography for their weddings by just giving cameras to friends or, you know, not hiring a wedding photographer, some professional photographers freaked out. They were angry and they were, you know, they needed to tear down the person who made that choice. But other professional photographers said, fine, when you need a pro, you'll know where to find me. I'm not threatened by this. It's the pros who aren't that professional that are just trying to be average, but I'm not average. And if you want someone who has a unique skill, that's what I provide. Call me when you're ready. And that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, and that that makes perfect sense. And it is that... You know, when you fall into that freaking out mode, when you fall into that insecurity, you're never then able to attract to you what you wanted in the first place anyway. Exactly. So it's a choice. The thing is, no one can make you freak out but you. That we can put you in, you know, some secret prison in Bulgaria, but we can't make you freak out unless you choose to. And what I'm arguing in in much of my work is, if it's working for you, please go ahead, freak out all you want. But if it's not, then why not act like a professional instead? Yeah, absolutely. That that freaking outedness is never really energy from which anything, That's right. you, for most people, anything productive can come, you know, certainly. It does take some skill. And, and I work a lot with um, younger people who, um, you know, maybe don't have the maturity or the, you know, the the life knowledge to know that it's not necessary to go there to just chill out, just pause. I always tell people to just hit pause. That's right. And, you know, get yourself together. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the freak out you had six months ago, was it really that urgent? And so you, if you could just mm-hmm. insert six months in your brain, even if it's only six seconds later, that, you know, if you're having your appendix out, you don't want to watch the doctor freak out. Doctors don't freak out. Even when there's a blood vessel that bursts, they don't freak out. That's what makes them a good doctor. Well, that's what we've got to do when we're on thin ice. And if you're not prepared to go on thin ice, then you're not prepared to do important work because all the important work happens on thin ice. Mm, absolutely. And so you yourself, you've, you've had many business ventures, some more successful than others. And when you do run into these bumps or these, you know, not going so well, is it really that easy to just just take that pause and, and go forward? Well, or do you who have said it was easy? Of- I didn't say it was easy. I said it was important. Right. That the important thing is to realize that what just happened to you was interesting. What happened to you mm-hmm. gives you an opportunity to recover. What happened to you taught you something. But it's not easy to learn that lesson. It's easy to freak out. That doesn't mean you should. Now, there's always a lesson. And I find that the more I'm able to look at that and be a little bit, you know, objective about what's happening, step back from it 
and just go like, huh, that's interesting. What is that here to teach me? And you're right. You know, in six months, in one month, many of the problems you face in any given day are not going to be a problem anymore. And so um, it is, it, it, it certainly is something that I've adopted over the years. It hasn't been uh, an overnight thing for me, but uh, it's really interesting to hear you, you know, spouting off a similar philosophy because it's important. And I think a lot of people don't subscribe so much to it. You know, yeah. they don't take the time to think about it. And uh, like with, with my clients, they want, they always want you to tell them what they need in a confident way, you know, in a knowing way sure. and in an authentic way. You know, there's this authenticity that's important to yeah, me in I, any I, aspect I, of business. I'm happy to chime in about authenticity. I think that yeah. uh, it's largely misunderstood. The, the last time we were authentic is when we were 60 days old and lying in a diaper filled with poop. And ever since <laughs> then, we haven't been authentic at all. Like, we put on clothes. We went to work. Maybe we didn't feel like going to work. Maybe we didn't feel like looking professional. Maybe we didn't feel like taking a shower. But we did. That someone walked into our office and we didn't call them names, throw a tantrum, and throw them out, even though maybe we felt like it. So what does authentic actually mean? I think what authentic actually means is we are consistent. We are consistent with the person we seek to be. That if you are authentic in that sense who cares what's going on in the back of your head because you're always acting in the way that matches your promise and that's what human beings want from each other and so when they say well that guy's being inauthentic what they mean is when we're not watching he's going to do something else and what it means to be authentic is to be consistent whether or not people are watching mm, that's a great definition and it's so much easier if you can adopt that instead right. of trying to remember how to be with exactly. that person or that person. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So you have, I mean, I mean, you have a philosophy background. You have so much wisdom. I don't know. There's One of your skills, I think, is to observe and then to translate what you're seeing in, in something valuable and understandable. Um, it seems like you're a big thinker that's looking to change the way we're looking we see things, you know, looking to maybe just give us that little bit of edge or help us elevate ourselves a bit. And certainly with your Alt-MBA program that I believe is part of it. What do you think people most commonly, like what downfalls do they most commonly stumble into? Like where do they most commonly get it wrong on a really basic level? Well, I'm not ready to say people are getting it wrong, but when in doubt, when something's not working, look for the fear. Fear is our most original emotion it's the one we've had longer than any other emotion you know if you look at dogs dogs don't really appreciate comedy right you can't tell a dog a joke and have them laugh at mm -hmm. it dogs don't have dreams dogs don't have goals but dogs have fear and so do squirrels and probably even amoeba that fear goes deep and so when you find yourself acting in a way that is inconsistent with where you seek to go it feels to me like beginning with understanding the fear makes way more sense than trying to look at skills or genes or tactics or who your parents are or where you live or whether someone is uh, against you because of what you look like. All of that may be true, but we begin with the fear. What is it that if we weren't afraid, we would change in the way we seek to accomplish our, the change we seek to make? 
Now, I know you're afraid. You can't make the fear go away. But you can be clear with yourself about what you would do if you weren't afraid. And then you can think hard about whether it's still worth doing. Do you think that thing that we would do if we weren't afraid, do you think that's tied? Do you, do you think people have a purpose to be here? Do you think there is a mission that kind of pulls each of us forward? I mean, you know, people are naturally drawn to different things. No. Different goals. No. You, you think that's a learned I know it's a learned behavior. Thing. I mean, you know, Vincent van Gogh, if he was born today, wouldn't become an impressionist oil painter. And mm. people who are growing up in Bareilly, India, don't want to become baseball players. Do you really think it's because of their genes or the star they were born under? Of course not. They don't want to be baseball players because no one in Bareilly, India plays baseball. It's pretty simple. That we can choose to become passionate about a journey for sure. And we can use that passion mm -hmm. to get us through lots of tough spots. But the problem with saying that people have a calling or something that they were given is it writes off all the people in the world who aren't succeeding or pushing themselves. It writes off all the people in the world who are on the wrong track because we say, oh yeah, that's not your fault. That's just the way you were born. And I, mm. I'm too positive for that. I, I believe too much in the power of each human to say it's out of your control. I think that lots mm -hmm. of things happen to people when they're born. You're really lucky if you get the right parents. You're really lucky if you grow up with the right technology. You're really lucky if you're healthy. You're really lucky if you were born in the right decade, for sure. But after that, what you're going to do with it, that's up to you. Mm -hmm. I feel, though, you know, I agree with you, but I also feel that there's so many people that do have a desire to do more, to mm -hmm. be more, to yeah. lead more. And they get stuck in that fear. Correct. And that's like that's the thing I wish that people could get out of. You know, if they had the desire to get out of this routine where you get up, you go to work, you, you know, pay the bills, take the kids to soccer, come home, TV, go to bed, get up, go to work. You know, many people have this like feeling that there's more for them, but they never take the action right. to make any changes. Right. Right. So that's just a fear thing. Of course, fear of change is a key success factor for every species on earth. Change is not your friend if you are a lion or a monkey or a squirrel because change is going to make the world worse for you, not better, because it's going to introduce new predators. So when we say to people, hey, you won the lottery, most people who win the lottery end up a few years later with as little money as they had before they won the lottery. They work really hard to get back to where they were. When we say to people, mm -hmm. hey, you got promoted, most people don't dive in and become a different kind of manager. They just want to do what they were doing, but get a better title and money because we don't want to change because we're afraid. And the thing about our culture in the last 200 years is the technology ratchet has created a cycle of change. So it used to be that, you know, 1950, if you became a travel agent, you could be a travel agent for your whole life. But if you became a travel agent in 1995, it's not your fault. Travel agents went away 10 years later. No more travel agents. And it's not that you did something wrong. Is this technology changed the world? So you're going to change anyway. You're either going to change down because your job has been transformed, or you're going to change up because you're the cause of change. So given that in either situation, you're going to be scared to death, 
My point is, what would you do if you weren't scared? Analyze that. And if it's worth doing, give it a try. Yeah, I think this may be a good segue to talk about the Alt-MBA program. Sure, happy to. So you've got this really cool program that you developed. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? It's, It's really interesting. I think that there are a lot of people on earth, but particularly a lot of privileged people who have an internet connection and a job and stuff, who would like to level up who would like to be able to see things more accurately, make better decisions, and most important, get other people to change in the direction they seek to make change happen. Online courses are great, but online courses that involve listening to podcasts or watching videos can only go so far because we really make change within by doing things. So the Alt-MBA is an intense 30-day workshop. It takes two or three hours a day. People from 30 countries are in it. It's all online. There is Uh, 10 coaches who are there in the Slack room and the WordPress site and the Zoom rooms. And we are doing projects. I'm not there. I don't have videos there. It's not Seth is super smart. Listen to what he says. It's what are we going to do together? What are these 13 projects? How are we going to make a change happen? And we don't have very many people in it at a time. It's always sold out. So we've got about 1,100 alumni so far. And it's not inexpensive. But the kind of people who take it from famous companies and non-famous companies, from non-profits and for-profits, we're changing their lives. That's my mission, and it's working. And if people want to find out more about it, because it's probably not for you, but if it is, it's at altmba.com. Yeah, that that's really cool. It's, it's like that mastermind component with the coaching, mm-hmm. which is brilliant. And that's absolutely proven to work um, you know, over and over again. So powerful. Thank you. So... Thank you for conceiving that. That's great. Um, this show is called Ready, Set, Grit because I want to inspire people to, you know, dream and 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 yeah, maybe Vincent Van Gogh wouldn't have been an impressionistic painter, but he probably would have had he been born today, been drawn to do some kind of art. Like I do think that there's some pull in us. You know, maybe you're pulled to be a writer, a speaker. You don't have to. We act can on that. we of can disagree. We can disagree about that. We, we can. It, it's it's actually not so important to my next question. But um, what, what I wanted to ask you about, the show is called Ready, Set, Grit. And to me, the most important of those words is the grit. Sure. And the grit is, you know, getting back up after you stumble. It's continuing forward. It's having the failures in business and going forward, not getting caught in that story of, oh, I'm so bad. I'm so whatever. Right. When you run up against obstacles, what keeps you going? Where do you find your grit? Well, I'd like to extend your grit definition to two other things, which is the grit to say no and the grit to say yes. So the grit to say no is, no, I don't do that. No, I don't take on those projects. No, I'm the head of Apple and we're not going to launch this. Uh, No, that's not good enough. And the grit to say yes of, yes, I commit to this. Yes, I will keep my promise. Yes, I know this is hard work, but it's worth doing. And those two bits of grit are the labor that we do today. It's emotional labor that we don't do, you and I, physical labor. We don't dig ditches for a living. We're not sitting there on the assembly line screwing lids onto bottles. That's hard work. But you don't get to go do that job and whine about the fact that you don't feel like screwing a lid on a bottle. You don't get to whine about the fact that you don't feel like digging a ditch, that you're tired. Well, we work in emotional labor, so we don't get to whine about it either because that's our work. So for me, 
the boundaries, the pitfalls, the potholes, that's a sign that I'm onto something. If they weren't there, I wouldn't be doing emotional labor. I would be cruising. And that's not my job. My job is to do emotional labor, which means dealing with the things that didn't work. So when they show up, it's how interesting, what a great opportunity, not, oh boy, what a pain. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Uh, yesterday, I was driving back to um, where I live near Binghamton from Buffalo, and I was listening to podcasts, and I heard um, Ira Glass talking about his uh, life in his 30s when he was just working, working, working all the time. And he, he said he had no regrets. You know, he, he's a hard worker. He loved it. He loves his show, obviously, and his, his work. Um, what about you? Are you a continually working or did you, have you been able to find some kind of balance? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I think that the, the work-life balance thing is a, a false dichotomy. I think there's just life. And you can pick which kind of life you get to, you know, the, the marketers of the world have taught us to be unhappy with what we have, which means we need to buy more stuff, which means we need to work more hours, which means we need to rent a storage unit, which means we need to work more hours, which means we need to buy more stuff. And if you buy into that cycle, why are you surprised that there's more work than life? On the other hand, if you can build a lifestyle that engages with you and helps the people around you, the work and the life are one. And I think Ira and I are probably in the same category when it comes to the fact that this is a privilege, of, that what we do is a privilege. And, you know, I don't get paid to write my blog. I've written 7,000 blog posts for free. And I will keep writing it even if no one reads it because it's a privilege. Uh, and yes, we need to make a living but I think we should be honest with ourselves that we have way more choices about where we live and what we eat and what we spend money on than we think we do. And I think that once you accept the fact that you're doing it voluntarily, you may discover you like it more. See, that's how, what I would call your purpose. But we, but I know we're not going to go there. Following what you love, I guess. That, that, that's, uh, that's what it's all about for or me. Or loving what I you do. I think that's really important. It could be the same thing, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, what advice would you have for a young person that's thinking about pursuing a dream or the flip side of that, thinking about pursuing someone else's dream? I, I recently had a conversation with a young lady who's at NYU and um, is really pursuing her parents' dream, and she's not overly happy with this course. She feels pressured into doing this, and you know this is a whole other conversation, but um, I'm... I, I'm fascinated with young people and I'm, I'm just, um, you know, what, what would you tell them? Someone who's going the way of their dream or someone right. that's... Well, I, you know, I think that know. the, I begin with this. The best work we do is when we are being generous and helpful to other people. Figure out how to do more of that. And then the second half of it mm -hmm. is for the smallest possible audience. Now, this goes against most of what everyone hears. But the problem with going for the biggest possible audience is... You will never be satisfied, and you'll always need something more. The definition of the smallest possible audience is not one person, because you may need more than that to sustain you. You may need more than that to make a living. But you know, your podcast is not listened to by as many people as Ira Glass's podcast. That doesn't make your podcast unimportant. It lets you focus to be someone who can make a difference. So what I would say to somebody who's 
giving themselves this narrative that this is my parents' dream, not my dream, is I just get rid of the whole narrative and say, this is where I am today. Given what I am doing today, who can I be more generous to? What would happen if I was the most useful person in this classroom setting? What would happen if the teacher came to the conclusion that the class is better with me in it? What would happen if in every spare minute I had, I didn't watch Game of Thrones, but instead did research and wrote papers that would help other people know what I know based on what I've been lucky enough to learn in this thing? Because if she is spending that time being generous to others, I think the entire program will begin to feel different. That when we start focusing on ourselves, it's really easy to get frustrated and impatient. But if we are in the business of helping other people, then we can just get impatient on their behalf to figure out how to help them even more. So do you think that coming at life from a place of service, is that part of the the key to happiness? It might be the only part. Mm -hmm. It might be the only part. It might be that simple, Seth. I hope so. Thanks, Seth, and thanks to everyone for listening to today's show. My guest was Seth Godin. His new book is What to Do When It's Your Turn, and It's Always Your Turn. You can find this complete interview, links to Seth's website, Alt-MBA program, and more on our website, readysetgrit.com. Please tune in again next week on Fridays is when the new episodes come out. And you can get more inspirational stories and tips for creating the life of your dreams. Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit, your life on purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at readysetgrit.com where you'll find daily inspiration, links to our social media, and where you can access our eBooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit, inspired actions, real results.